Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. It's so good to see each and every one of you this morning. We're in verse 54 to 59. We are going to close out chapter 12. It's been a long chapter, but it's been a rewarding one, I pray, uh, for me and hopefully for you as well. I pray for you. Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 59, we're going to talk about a fatal lack of discernment, a fatal lack of discernment. Uh, Now, many of you most likely have heard of the Rorschach test. Does that sound familiar? Or you might know it as the ink block test. You'll you'll see it here. And it's used by many people, many uh, uh, psychologists and stuff. It's frequently portrayed as a way of revealing a person's unconscious thoughts, motives, or desires. As people will see and and discern different types of images within this ink block. So let me ask you, what do you see in this ink block? Anyone want to venture a guess? At ink block? You know, first I see lungs, you know, and then I see like butterfly wings. But if you focus on the white with the two black things in the middle, and the, that looks like predator to me. So I don't know what that says about my psyche or my thought. But you might come up with something different. But yeah, these are one of those things that they do and say, what is it that you're thinking of? So there's, there's mine. I go from a, kind of, a, a different kind of thing, and so probably do you. Another fun one is that of uh, optical illusions. I don't know if you lie. When you look at this, what do you see first? Do you see a duck or do you see a bunny? Who sees the bunny? Who saw the duck for who saw the bunny first? Okay, who saw the duck first? All right, how many saw both of them at the exact same time? Okay, Dave, okay. And Lando, yeah. <laughs> and his wife, of course. Yeah, so I mean, this one's a little bit more easy, but have you ever seen some of those that it's like, boy, you look at it first and you, you might be drawn real quickly to one, and then with some prompting from others, you'll say, oh, yeah, there is something else there, but then there might be some of us that say, I don't see anything. But these are just fun ways of looking and saying, can you discern, can you notice, can you perceive different types of things? And sometimes as much as you squint and focus, and even maybe move your head, you're like, I just don't get it or I just can't see it. In chapter 12, as we come to close this, just as a matter of review, Jesus has been pointing out the many obstacles that we as disciples are going to face as we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Discipleship requires, demands an uncompromising commitment and a constant readiness to be able to perceive and discern these obstacles and to make our way through them, around them, or in such a way in which these obstacles do not derail are following Christ, the commandments to love one another, the commandment to love God, the commission to go out and to make disciples. And so these are things that we need to look at. And so these types of obstacles are things such as discomfort or will cause and bring discomfort, dismissal from others, and even division like like we talked about last week among our family members, among people that we love and the community at large. 
In today's passage, Luke records the words of accusation and a word of warning to the crowd that has been listening and and watching as Jesus has been teaching his disciples. As you may recall from the beginning of Luke chapter 12 is that Luke records there was a, a myriad of thousands. The crowd was a vast crowd, probably up to 10,000 or more around people who were all clamoring to get in position so they could hear and see Jesus uh, better. And so we almost see almost like this is like a, a mess that is going on. They all want to get close to Jesus as he's making his way to Jerusalem. He knows that his days are last, are, 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 are coming closely or quickly to an end. And so he wants to spend the time uh, teaching and instructing his disciples. The motivation for the crowd that's gathered is vastly different. Some are there to hear Jesus teach and preach. Some are there just to see some miracle or wonder-working power. Others are there to be healed, whilst others are looking for an opportunity to accuse him of wrongdoing. Most of them probably have either heard the news that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the one that was promised by the Old Testament prophets, and they wanted to see for themselves if he was the promised one. So that's the background of what we're about to hear here as Jesus gives them a word of accusation and a word of warning. They most likely have heard of his teachings, heard of his miracle working power and all of these things. And they want to see, is this the real deal? Is Jesus the Messiah, the anointed of the Lord? Now, Jesus, as the son of God, knows what's in their hearts. He's a sovereign, providential, uh, omniscient God. He knows what is in their hearts. And so now after instructing his disciples here for most part of chapter 12, he now turns his focus, his attention on the crowd that has surrounded them. And he wants to accuse them or he's going to accuse them of a lack of discernment. And then he warns them that they need to seek reconciliation before it's too late. His main point is that they have a lack of discernment that if not corrected will eventually lead to judgment and condemnation. To illustrate this point, Jesus speaks of weather patterns and legal disputes. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. I pray that you open up our minds and hearts to receive. Give us perception. Father, through your spirit, give us discernment of what your word says and to know the difference between uh, God's word and maybe my opinion. And Lord, may that be filtered out, Lord, for your glory and for our good. And we just thank you so much for this opportunity and the privilege and the great responsibility to open your word, to learn from it, and then to respond appropriately. We thank you for this time in your name. Amen. Now, first, let's go to the first illustration. Jesus accuses them of having a lack of spiritual discernment, though they are proficient in reading weather patterns. Look at verse 54, 54, excuse me, 54 with me. Jesus said also to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. Now, this is a harsh accusation in this question. That they were able to perceive weather patterns should be no surprise to any of us. As we remember, this was God's 
design, Yahweh's design in Genesis 1.14. Remember at the beginning when he's creating all things, God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. So now we're seeing the sun and the moon, the stars and so on and so forth. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So God created it and gave it to them so that they could discern the different times and seasons. Robert Stein, excuse me, writing in the New American Commentary, he states that when a cloud is rising in the west, so for them it would be in the Mediterranean, when they see the cloud rising over the Mediterranean Sea, it describes that moisture or moisture laden, uh, um, uh, excuse me, air that's coming from the sea. And that's going to bring up some rain. And when we see the south wind, he's talking about that hot, oppressive wind that's blowing in from the desert of what you and I would call Saudi Arabia. So you and I do the same thing. We know the difference between Anina and Anino winds and the Santa Anas and so on and so forth. That's what we do. And so he's saying you have the ability to perceive these things before anyone tells you. You're able to see because you've seen the laws of nature work. Yahweh created man with the ability to discern the cycle of nature to help them with planting and reaping. This ability to read the signs and to read the weather would help them in farming and sailing and fishing and even when to look for shelter or seek shelter when necessary. However, this gift from God did not help them in discerning spiritual truths. So we need to understand that. There's a natural discernment, but there's also much more important is a spiritual discernment. Jesus is speaking of that lack of spiritual discernment to recognize that standing in front of them and talking to them is the Messiah, the anointed one of the Lord, sent to redeem God's children from his wrath. The one promised to them. They can discern the weather patterns, but they could not discern the very fulfillment of of God's promises. What we're reading here is a condemnation of Israel. As Jesus uses the illustration of weather patterns to point out that you are missing what is in front of your eyes. They're looking at ink blots and they don't see the Messiah. They're looking what they think is almost like an optical illusion is that they see everything but the truth thing that they are supposed to recognize. Now this accusation will be similar to today when you and I use use phrases like you can't see your nose in front of your face. You ever heard that one? You can't see your nose in front of your face meaning that you're oblivious to something that's obvious, something that is in clear view. You might have, <coughs> excuse me, you might have heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the, for the trees, right? Meaning that they cannot see, understand, or focus on a situation in its entirety due to their preoccupation with minor details. This is what Jesus is speaking here as Luke records. So far in Luke, Jesus has amazed the people with his teaching as they recognize that he has much more authority than that of the religious leaders. Jesus has performed miracles that have left them bewildered and wonder as he demonstrated his power and authority over sickness, disease, and even death. He has shown his power over both the natural world by calming the sea, feeding the 5,000, turning wine out of water. 
as well as proven his power over the supernatural world by casting out demons. Yet despite all of this evidence, they still are not accepting his claim. Instead, they reject him. The Bible tells us in John 1.11 that Jesus came to his own, speaking of his own people, and his own people did not receive him. This shouldn't be surprising for even at the beginning of his ministry until the day of his cross, till his day of his resurrection, his own family, other than his mother, rejected him and his testimony. The Messiah is there, but they could not see it. Pastor John MacArthur notes that that the long-promised and long-awaited Messiah was in their midst, but yet they refused to acknowledge him. They failed to recognize that the kingdom of God is inaugurated through the ministry of Jesus. Remember, they, they're, they're looking at the, the optical illusion or the inkblot, and they see the Messiah coming and, and conquering Rome, of setting their people free and, and setting up the king of David. They're, they're looking at something and expecting something so much different. When the ministry of Jesus comes in power and authority, they still do not accept it. And because of this failure, Jesus accuses the crowd of being hypocrites, of being evil, of saying they are one thing, but being something else. Dr. Thomas Schreiner, he writes, you'll see it here on the monitor, that the coming of the kingdom is not universally accepted. That's one of the things we learn as we read the Gospels. Nor does it bring harmony and peace immediately. That's what they're looking for. That's why they're looking for Rome and for the Roman Empire, Caesar, to be destroyed. But yet, it doesn't happen. Still, he writes, all of Israel should see the presence of the kingdom in Jesus. And those who do not do so are hypocrites. We need to recognize that. The promises given to them by their fathers, Jacob and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. These are things that they have longed and waited for that has been foretold by their prophets. Jesus doing each and every prophecy fulfilling and still they could not discern the man in front of them. The second illustration, Jesus uses a legal dispute to warn them about their failure to discern rightly the things of God. Read silently with me at verse 57. Jesus says, and why do you judge or why do you not judge for yourself what is right? Good question. Why are you not discerning what is right and wrong yourself? He goes on in verse 58. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This illustration illustration depicts two men who are involved in some type of dispute, some type of argument, and they cannot come to terms. They they continually just argue against each other. So they decide together to head to court. Jesus here is addressing the person as the guilty party and tells them, you need to reconcile quickly before appearing for the judge. On your way there, you need to do whatever you need to do to reconcile with your friend, your brother, your family member, whoever this might be. The warning is that the guilty party may very well find themselves guilty as they stand before the judge. 
and be severely punished. Again, going to Dr. Schreiner, he says, this parable offers practical advice. It is better to settle with one's accuser before this dispute is brought before a judge. But within its broader context, this parable seems also to have in view the arrival of the kingdom of God. That is, the need to be in right standing with God, the judge of the universe, before it's too late. So in essence, Jesus is saying is, is you need to discern the times, for the day is short, and you need to make sure that you are right with the one that you will stand in judge, or who will stand, you will stand before in judgment. Then as today, though, the people wanted more evidence. They needed a more call. They called for more direction or clear direction before committing to Christ. Do more miracles. Do this for us. Do that for us. In this case, Jesus is just calling them to just not just follow him. Or excuse me, in this case, Jesus is calling them to not just follow him due to his miracle working power. Not to just come as spectators to see him do some miracle work. But he's calling them to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. The same call that goes to you and I today. Sadly, however, they reject his teaching his ministry, and his claim of divinity. And Jesus warns them, and listen to this, Jesus warns them that they reject him at their pearl, their own pearl. And the same thing for you and I as we share the gospel. We need to let people know that you reject Christ, the ministry of Christ, the man of Christ, the message of Christ at your own pearl. Be reconciled before him. Now, as we come, I want to look at the main point of this passage. And the main point of this passage is that the consequences that come with the lack of discernment. The consequences that come with the lack of discernment. They could discern the times, the seasons, but not the clear fact that the promised Son of Man was in their presence. The very Son of God is there in the flesh, had come to fulfill the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and by Yahweh. The fulfillment of scripture was at hand. So what I want to take a moment and I want to consider why is it? Why is it that, the, uh, or first, why is it that, they, that there is a, a missing here? So let's answer the question first. The first question I want to answer, and I'm all over the place this morning. But the first thing that you and I need to consider is what is discernment? If the consequence of discernment is, is, is judgment, then we need to ask what is discernment? We need to understand what that is. Uh, John MacArthur, you see it here on the screen, so you can take a, a note of or a picture or some other thing here. Discernment is nothing more, he writes, than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about the truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with the ability to think biblically. It's an ability to see things for what they are. It's an ability to see what God has given us. It's the skill of, of a taking and applying wisdom in our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read that the tribe of Iskar, that there were men who had understanding of the times to know what they ought to do. Unfortunately, as Jesus is walking there in Israel those days, those dusty old roads, is that there were not very many who understood the times or knew what they ought to do. Praise God, there were some. There was those that God has chosen, his sheep. 
and then they continued the work of Christ. But there were those who did not, who, there's those in those days who did not know what to do. Elsewhere in scripture, we read of discernment. You'll see some here. In Proverbs, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. In Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. As well in his Ephesians, he calls us or calls us to do to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So for the Christian, for the believer, discernment is paramount. We need to have discernment. We need to acquire that skill of reading and understanding, of of learning and studying. We need to pray that God will open our minds and hearts to see that which God is revealing. The sermon is very important in this world. Most, if not all of our problems are caused by not having discerning minds. Even as we think what's going on internationally with Russia, there's no discernment going on. It seems like one person is just, just reacting. They're not able to tell exactly what's going on and truth is being lost. And there is such a thing, again, <coughs> as a worldly discernment. There are many people who do not know Christ that can discern the times, who can make good judgments. However, true discernment only comes through the scripture as taught by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 17, Luke writes that the Christians in Berea were commended because they were very more noble than those that were in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if such things were so. So if you want to know what discernment, it's one who receives the word of God with joy and then seeks the scriptures to see if such things are so. And so as you come in here this morning, one of the tools that are in your tool belt as you come and listen is discernment. Help me discern the difference between what is wrong and right, what is true and what is false. You and I need that. We live in a world that is lacking discernment, whether it comes to the transgender issue, whether it comes to same-sex attraction, whether it comes to whatever it may be, there is a lack of discernment. And it's killing, and it's hurting our children, it's hurting our people, it's, it's destroying the very fabric and foundation of many families. Secondly, we must consider the question of why could they not discern the true identity and purpose of Jesus the Messiah? Out of anyone, these Jewish men and women should be able to have discernment. They were taught from, from the earliest ages, the, the Torah. They were, they were there every, every, every Sabbath learning about the Messiah. They were looking and waiting for the Messiah. They had many feasts and festivals and, and all the tabernacle and the temple. All the things that happened was to point to the coming of the anointed of the Lord. How is it that some were able to perceive the true identity of Jesus? Like Peter and James and John. But some did not. How, how could Andrew and Matthew... Perceive it, but Judas could not. What was the difference? How were the eyes of some open to the light and others were closed? The problem is, is that all of humanity faces today is that we are blinded and not able to see the light of Christ. Scripture informs us that all of humanity is blinded. And I want to share with you the three things that we are blinded by. 
First, we are blinded by our own sin. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 1. This passage contains the great and awful indictment against all of humanity that has rejected their creator. And it begins in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Here, the ultimate power of the universe declares that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, who are not exercising discernment. He goes on to state that the rest of the accusation, along with the, uh, the, the, the consequence of this lack of discernment, of this rejection in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It is obvious because God has shown it to them. They're exhibiting their ability to read the very natural things that God has given them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are what? Without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. We're blinded by our own sin, by our own corruption. Not able to perceive the very things that God has put in place for us to see. Number two, we're blinded by Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul writes that the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so then these people, we see Judas, what is his issue? His issue is that the God of this world, his God, his father, blinded his mind so that he cannot see that the man that he was walking with, the man that he was talking with, the man he ate with, the man that he would camp down with every night was the very son of God. Then thirdly, surprising to many of us, is that we're blinded by God himself. Going back to Romans 1, the apostle writes in verse 24, that therefore God gave them up because of their sin, their lack of discernment, he gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator. And so as we look at all of humanity is blinded by our sin, by Satan, and by God. And so in that all who are born of man and woman, are, are blinded. We cannot see the things of God. In Isaiah 44, verse 18, we read of Israel, they know not, nor do they discern, for they have shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts are so that they cannot understand. I guess I could put up a fourth one who is blinded by our own self, by our own willingness or unwillingness to see the things of God. This, these passages teach us that all of us are born into sin and darkness and that we're all blinded to the wonder, the beauty, and the majesty of God. This means that we're unable to see the light of Christ. Like the blind men who were miraculously given sight by the work of Christ, you and I need a miracle. 
We need our spiritual eyes open for we are spiritually blind or were spiritually blind if you're here and you've turned to Christ. We need a savior, a light giver, one who opens up the eyes, the one who can cause the scales of blindness to fall from our eyes. To the Jews, the teaching and ministry of Jesus was unbelievable. And so they chose not to believe it. In 1 Corinthians, we read that the Jews demand a sign and that, they, that the preaching of Christ crucified is a stumbling block. They cannot see the, 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 the duck because of the bunny, and that's all they want to see because they prefer the bunny over the duck. That's the status of all humanity. But their lack of discernment Speaking here of the Israel, the Jews at this time, this crowd, caused by their spiritual blindness, led them to reject God's redemption plan. The problem is, is that all of humanity, as I've said again and again, suffers from this ailment as well. And so before we're too harsh on this crowd, I would venture to say that if you and I were standing before Christ today, listening to his teachings, seeing his miracles, you and I, unless Christ intervened, unless God intervened, we too would not be able to discern the true identity of Jesus. We too would reject Christ. For that's who we are. However, there is good news. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church that he is encouraged that they will reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. So what we're seeing here is is Paul is praying to the church and saying, you will receive, you, you will be able to discern all the wonderful things of Christ in whom all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Let me give you a quick a commercial once again. Men, we are in Colossians. We're in Colossians 1 and, sh- and Colossians chapter 2 for the month of March. Ladies, you can join us as well. We read it every day uh, for 30 days, those two, those two ver- uh, chapters. So join with us in that. But what we see is that God has given, by his gift, he has given us the ability to see the things of Christ. Now, this only happens as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. As you see, I've been reading Colossians. I found some wonderful things as the message comes in. Is that we were once dead in our trespasses. We were once blinded. We were once uh, uh, not able to discern the things of God. And in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But he says, but God made, alive to get, made us alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. What you and I see here is that unless God comes, you and I are not going to be able to discern the things of Christ. John MacArthur writes about this. It's here on the monitor. He says the gospel is not a set of sterile facts. It is the dynamic through which God redeems sinners from the bondage of sin. Spiritual sight depends on God's initiative and God's power offered in divine and sovereign grace. The result of spiritual sight is a surrendered, worshiping heart. The result of spiritual blindness is more blindness, more sin, and ultimately certain doom. And just hold that there for a moment, Ben. As you look at them, that's what we're seeing here in this passage, 54 through 59. He's saying is you're not able to discern the things of God, and because of that, you will face the consequences of judgment and condemnation. 
However, what we see is God has designed to give his children sight. I'd like to point out these truths through these two biblical examples. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 9. And we're going to go through that chapter very quickly. In John chapter 9, we see the story of the man who is born blind. And you might recall there in John chapter 9, as, as it starts off, they ask, well, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? That's what disciples, they said, and a man born blind from birth and disciples in verse 2 asked Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, who that he was born blind? So we have to see that this man here is sitting here at the, at, at the gate as Jesus is walking through. Now, important thing to understand is that in this encounter, not once does the man ask to be healed. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's probably not even aware of who's passing by him. He's sitting at that gate, usually waiting as a beggar. His family would set him out there. He would beg for alms, for money. So in this, as we see here, this man is not looking to be healed. He just wanted some money. But look what I love what Jesus says here. But Jesus says, it's not this man's sin or his parents that caused him to be blind, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he's just sitting there just minding his own business before Jesus and the disciples uh, come in and, and, and intervene supernaturally in his life. If you go to verse 6 and 7, you see that he commands the, he obeys the commands of Jesus to go to the pool and wash his eyes, not knowing what the result would be. I mean, what would you do if you've been blind from birth and someone comes and puts some mud pack on your eye and says, go now wash at the pool? You don't know what's going to happen. And so this man, though, goes ahead and obeys. Verses 17 and then verses 24 through 33, we see that though the man's eyes physically were open, his spiritual eyes are still closed. After he is, he is healed, he is brought before the Pharisees, the, the Sanhedrin, because they hear about it. The, the crowd is all talking about, hey, look, at, isn't this the man that was born blind? How in the world is he healed? And he's brought before him, and they're asking him questions. He goes, I don't know who this man is. All I know that he told me to go and, and, and wash my eyes, and I did, and, and now I can see. They bring his parents in. Ask them the same question. Says, wait a minute, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. Which then we come to verse 35. Jesus now opens the man's eyes spiritually. And what do we see is that he responds in worship. Look at chapter 9, verse 35, as we just close that part out. He goes on, but go back to verse 33. He says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they said, well, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. He's not sure. He just knows that this man is, is someone from God. And he winds up being cast out of the, tab or the temple, which would have been a, this, this is like disowning someone. You couldn't buy or sell if you could not go to the, te the temple. He could not go and worship. But look at verse 35, because that's where I want to get to. And then Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Then look at verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Christ. 
taking the words of John, when Jesus said, I am he, the wind blew. The Holy Spirit came. And the eyes that were once blinded could now see. And the spiritual eyes that could not see were opened. He was both naturally and supernaturally unblinded. Only as a work of Christ. But now let's turn to Acts chapter 9 very quickly. And let's look at the story of Paul. A man once known as Saul. We under know the story, most of us. And again, we'll do the same thing. We're just going to go through there very quickly. In verse... Excuse me. Thank you. In verse 1 and 2, we see that Saul, as he is then named, hates Christ. He hates Christ's followers. And he seeks to imprison. He may be a Pharisee. He may, be a, he may have the zeal of God. But he is spiritually blinded. He cannot discern the true identity of Christ at this moment. On the way to Damascus where he is going to seek some Christians to put them in jail in verses 3 through 5. We see that he experiences a supernatural encounter with Christ. Where he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest you me? And once again in verse 6, like the blind man before, he obeys the command of Jesus, not knowing what the results would be. In this case, Paul can see, but now he is blinded. And then he is told, go to a man named Ananias and do what he tells you to do. And so being taken by the hand, he is taken to a man that he is supposed to, uh, to arrest, imprison, take Jerusalem to torture and to kill. Now, how would you feel at this moment? Be, and as you read there, Ananias knew exactly who Saul was. He says, oh, wait a second, I've heard about this guy. I'm not taking him into my house. But God says, do so. So Paul, or Saul, he does so. He obeys the commands of God, not knowing what the results would be either. Verses 15 and 16, he is given a commission that will come at a high cost to him. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but look at chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. This is given to Ananias, but shared with uh, Saul or Paul later. In verse 15, as Ananias is complaining, saying, wait a second, I don't think this is a good idea, Lord. But in verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. What a great privilege. However, look at before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, great privilege. But look at verse 16, for I will show him how much he must what? Suffer for the sake of my name. He may not be able to discern, but very eventually he'll know exactly what I've called him to do. See, Paul went into missionary work knowing exactly what was going to happen to him. I think the Lord was pretty honest with Saul, Paul. I want you to follow me, but this is what the cost is. But as we continue on in verses 17 and 18, he sees that he is given spiritual eyes to see the truth. Let's look at 17. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on Paul, Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it means something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. So he was now given spiritual eyes to see the truth. But then again, look at verse 20. We see that he responds also with worship. 
In verse 20, and immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see a, a pattern with these, these two men? It's an interesting contrast. However, there is one thing I find interesting. Whereas the man that was born physically blind in order that he may be giving spiritual sight to the glory of God, the Apostle Paul was blinded physically so that he might be spiritually unblinded. This is all the work of God. And this is the work that you and I needed to be a disciple of Christ. You and I needed to give discernment. Before Christ came and initiated that work, there is no way that you could discern through Scripture in the face of Christ who Christ truly was. He was like an ink block. Blot. It just didn't make sense. And like the world today, many of them look at Jesus and they make, a, they make their own version of him, just like an ink block. What you think of Jesus is okay. What I think of Jesus is okay. What Jesus says, what his truth is, is okay. What you think his truth is, we all have our own truth. But Jesus is much more than that. He's come to reveal himself to us. And so God initiated that and gives his people, his chosen children, spiritual sight so they may discern who Christ is. Now, our, our response to that is faith and trust, right? That's the conversion where we come and we, and we repent of our sin and we turn and trust that God accepted the works of Christ on our behalf. This is what you and I need. Now, this now brings us to the warning that Jesus gives in the passage. Even in our blindness, he calls us to be reconciled to God through the work of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. You'll see it here on the monitor. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, Christ walked along us as we were on the road to judgment. And Christ said, come and let's be reconciled before you face God. That's what Christ has done. Verse 19, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we see that he has now given that to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore on your behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So get this on your mind. As we're talking about this illustration of, of two men walking, in this case, we're not the one who is accusing. We're the one walking along saying, be reconciled to God. You will stand before God one day. Pray that he may give you discernment. Plead with your family and friends that they may have discernment so that they too may be reconciled before God. You see, we cannot give sight to the blind. We cannot give wisdom to the fool. We cannot reason or argue anyone into heaven. No, all you and I can do is two things. Number one is we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes to the truth. And number two, we can plead that they be reconciled to God before the day of judgment. So with that, let us be faithful in doing so. 
God has determined that, that the salvation of souls, the redemption of his children will come through the preaching and teaching of his word and the proclamation that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost by giving his life as a ransom for many. So with that, let us pray. Let us plead, recognizing that it is God's work that they may see. May God hear our prayers and may he grant us favor to our pleas that our loved ones, our family, our friends, our our neighbors, our co-workers may come to know Christ as Lord, sin, Savior and follow him. Let us always give praise and glory to the one who has loved us, who has chosen us, who has given us new hearts and has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness in a miraculous light. Amen. May God give sight to the blind man. May God give discernment to those he will. Our part is to share that to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Great things he is doing. Amen. Let me close with this one last verse. Just a word of encouragement. It's found in James chapter 1. If you're lacking discernment, if you're lacking wisdom, God calls us to ask God. For he gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. That's his promise. He says, but let us ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. If you have been given spiritual sight, be confident that you can see. Too many Christians are groping in the dark, in battling their sin, in loving their neighbors, and loving, them, and loving, uh, loving their neighbors as God has called us to do. Do not be the one that's driven and tossed by the sea. For that person, he says, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let us be stable with the discernment that God has given each and every one of us, with a humbleness and a thankfulness that he has given us sight. Nanny, would you come and be ready for pastor's prayer? I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, just to pause and consider what we shared here this morning. And then you just give a simple prayer. Father, this week, this morning, this afternoon, help me to respond to your word. Maybe it's this time where you need spiritual eyes. Maybe it's that you see to hear the spirit calling to you. Then listen, obey, even if you don't know what the results are, trusting that he'll give you exactly what you need. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.